0: Friends around the globe, near and far, thank you for dialing in to another episode of the Become Good Soil podcast. It's an honor that you would choose the pace of soul, that you would slow down and value yourself enough to tune into this podcast, to trust that through it, a portion of God's heart, God's intention, and the recovery of God's story would come for your masculine soul. We are deep in this exploration of the 2019 Become Good Soil intensive, the rough, raw, bootleg-style recordings where my heart was to bring you a portion of what God did, uh, at least during the teaching sessions at that event. And so join me on this narrow road as we dive into the next installment, part six in this Become Good Soil podcast series. Jesus said, friends, are you tired and worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Are you burned out on the treadmill that you just spent a lot of energy, but you don't get anywhere? Come to me. Get away with me and recover your life. I'll show you, I will show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me and watch how I do it and learn from me as my apprentice unforced rhythms of God acting. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. I love that, ill-fitting. Keep company with me and you will learn in time and over time how to live freely and lightly in the midst of a mad world. Jesus, we ask for that now. We ask that you would revive us and refresh us this afternoon. That your spirit would blow like wind into our mind and will and imagination. That you would resuscitate every part of us. Revive us from the inside out. You would make our minds and hearts and wills alert and attentive to what you are doing for us and in us. God we want to be men who are blessed as we grow in trust and confidence in you as we stick with you we want to increase our belief and experience that we are trees planted with roots that run deep into the river's bank that even in the hottest summer we won't drop a leaf that will be calm and strong, and healthy, and vibrant during droughts, and we will bear fruit in every season. Um, Jonathan and Melissa Helser have been uh, worship mentors, marriage mentors to me, and they recorded this song, Never Given Up, multiple times. (coughs) One of the first recordings I found of it it was like this YouTube kind of handheld thing, and it was this... Powerful. I was talking to Jonathan and I said, What is the deal with this scruffy YouTube recording? And he just laughed. And it was a really good response. And he said that him and Melissa and his dad went into the studio to record. It was about a two and a half, three minute song. And Melissa has um, struggled with a, a, um, a lifetime kind of debilitating disease of her skin that it basically inhibits all of her joints. And it ebbs and flows, but it's like like third-degree burns on most of her body at its worst. And when their son Cadence was born, she needed help picking him up for his first nine months. And she is a prayer warrior. And she fights fiercely. And she loves deeply. And she's had some victory and then setbacks and victory and setbacks. And she was in the midst of battling. And they were just in a... (coughs) Um, low point in what they were experiencing <laughs> circumstantially, but in a deep point of trusting in the confidence of God, their Father. So it was meant to be a two and a half minute recording, and Melissa, in the midst of recording, like grabs the she hands the iPhone to someone else. She grabs the microphone. She's not supposed to be in the song. She starts singing, and then his dad wasn't supposed to be singing. He's just supposed to be hanging out, and he starts singing over Jonathan. Jonathan singing, God, you'll never give it up on me, and the father is singing, I'll never um, get, you, get um, you know, he's just crying out, God, you've never given up on me, and then back, I will never give up on you, and it's just this reverberations of response and participation. It becomes this all out, just kingdom come, spirit-filled moment, and I want to use that song to just come into um, alignment again, alignment with the river, alignment with the life, to, to put down what we've carried, every yoke that's ill-fitting, and engage in our masculine soul with the heart of God, and to receive the reality that He is not giving up on us, and it's from that place of promise that we can choose courageously, in vulnerability and love, to not give up on Him, and so let's worship. Your
1: love never quits never stops chasing my soul. Oh God, before I was even in my mother's womb, you knew me and you loved me. Even in my sin, Lord, you wouldn't stop Every time I'd run away, you'd come chasing me, Papa, you won't let go of me, Papa, you won't let go of me, even in my sin, in my mess, when I turned and I started coming home. After i wasted your inheritance, you jumped off the porch with a ring and a robe. You came running for me, came running for me. Oh, never stop, no. You just grabbed home It never fails, it never ends Your love, it never quits, it never stops Chasing my soul
2: This blaze near Montana. In the blink of an eye, just fire everywhere. And then, charging out of these flames, comes this bear on fire. It was the most beautiful and terrible thing I've ever seen. I heard you guys had some slots available. You lost her. <laughs> we got one slot open. You know what we're training for? Hot Shots get to engage the fire directly. The SEAL Team Six of Firefighters. If you give me a chance, I won't let you down. Sooner or later, the fire's gonna come knocking in our hometown. We've been training for over four years. we got all our hours, all our qualifications. But until we're certified hotshots, my crew won't even be able to set foot on the line. I told you it wouldn't be easy.
3: You wanna talk about it? Anyone do you wanna do your John Wayne thing? Mm-hmm. It's not easy sharing
2: your man with a fire. Take this little
4: stinker. He's not a stinker.
2: Bye. Bye-bye. I want you all to breathe in this beautiful vista, because you're never going to be able to look out into the wilds and see that pure beauty again. This ain't the greatest job in the world, I don't know what is. What is that? Fires threatening homes in people's lives. I want Granite Mountain. There it is, your hot shots.
5: She's had a daughter, and I just really want to give her what i never had. The fire gets past our line, it goes to our town.
2: Burn over oh, seconds away. It's gonna feel like the end of the world. As long as you can breathe, you can survive.
4: She's barely
1: seen you for the past few months. I'm sorry.
2: No one could be prouder of his boys than I am of you guys. One piece of me,
0: come and get it. There was a study of these Ivy League students, graduates. 724 people over 70 years. Just think about that. They followed the lives of these college graduates. 724 for 70 years. And they had one question. And the question was, what makes someone happy? In other words, who finds life? And what's so fascinating is the study was very conclusive to these very mostly successful people. It wasn't money, it wasn't power, it wasn't influence, it wasn't fame, it came down to one thing, and it was relationships. It was the quality in which they experienced relationships in their life. Fascinating. Uh, Sitting under the seat uh, with many guides and elders over these two decades, one of the there've been themes, and it's like a great distilled whiskey, and they're kind of the the um, these pictures that have come to mind, and and one of the ideas is that. one of the perspectives that we can have to best understand consider our lives mature in our lives is what is the picture the snapshot the portrait of our relationships or the quality of the relationship where's the frontier in our relationships what do our lives look like relationally or maybe a way to ask how are we spending how are we investing ourselves relationally, and, and where the rubber meets the road, we can start talking about things like our time, our money, um, our emotional energy, or I love how Aaron says it, like emotional calories. Because the, the, one of the blessings of the human experience is our limitations. We hate that as young people, but as we mature, it's actually a wonderful gift. because our limitations are what drive us into utter dependency on God and making choices to give our yes to the right things so that we can confidently give our no to all the things, as John said this morning, there will always be more. And loving, courageous, vulnerable men will disappoint many. And so what does your relationship model look like? You guys have seen the image. I put a sticker for you. And Alex, you can put it up there. This has really helped me. Um, And again, it's a a decade, but I'm trying to give you big ideas in in each session as prologue for the next for a decade. But this really helps me as a visual, as a response of my soul. How am I spending myself? How am I investing myself? Whatever variables and crisis over time, when I look at my life, what does it look like? And what I found is the orientation of the ancient path looks something like this. Look, something like most of me is given over to this peace that we talked about in Habitat, in Habits, in Lifestyle Warfare, to have a life that's rooted, it's good soil rooted deeply in the vastness of God and His kingdom. And out of that flows into the relationships that are most core. And this is a metaphor, it's a parable. So this applies to all people, whether you're married or not, whether you have kids or not. God sets us in family. It's the first expression of the kingdom of God. And so this is simply a portrait of the church. But when I look at it, I think of soul care and then fighting for the heart of my bride and the only person that I've made covenant to. And out of that outflow, these children entrusted to my care. And very, very quickly and close to that are like-hearted kings, as Dan Allender said... Find like-hearted kings that are living in the same direction and sign treaties. When they are at war, you are at war. And just by definition of limitations, it's only a few. It can only be a few. And it always has, to some very deep degree, elements of real-time, face-to-face, missional center. Because the relationships in and of themselves will become a small story if they're not fighting in the context of some larger mission, whatever that is. And so who are those like-hearted kings? I remember when I was in my 20s, um, Sherry sat me down and said, Morgan, you don't have any peers. You have older men in your life. I see that and it's, it's respectable, um, but can I reflect back to you? I don't see peer-to-peer relationships, and she, she was right. And it began the journey. And I I was like many guys, said, where's the Band of Brothers? I I can't find them. You know, it's just such a common question. But I realized I had to become the kind of person that somebody wanted to have as a like-hearted young king. That was the mission, to become that person. And so that's where I turned my heart. And over years, supernaturally, plus the participation of my heart, I now have my few. And from that, obviously, is seating myself at the seat of mentors that I'm not the first and I won't be the last and I follow the path of heroic men before me. It's a recovery of the lost path, always being lost and always being recovered. And so who are you asking your questions to? Who has access to your life? Who has visibility on your life? What I'm, one of the things I learned on this path that's one of the most powerful activities is ask the question even when I know the answer. Because what I don't need is an answer, what I need is the substance of the Father that comes through the participation in relationship. It's amazing how many times, like I've figured it out, right? We all know more than we've lived. Our, our living has to catch up with our knowing. We know more than we've lived, but sometimes it's in just asking, just being in the presence of a mentor, that there's the passing of a substance that's like a food in the kingdom, inheritance. And the reality is you don't have a lot left. And that's okay. (coughs) That's actually holy. And it's a blessing to other people to live in the realities of your limitations. And it's out of that overflow that you need to decide what you will do with what you have left. This is really disruptive. It leaves us with lots of questions. How how the heck do you pay a mortgage with that, right? I, I don't have the answer for you. I just know I want life. And few find it, but those that do have life in its full. I know that there's a narrow path, and there's ever and always a narrow gate being made available to each and every one of us. At every moment, I know that there's a way, and I want life, and I know he wants it for you. So that's what you have to figure out. And we don't have the time to go into all these categories deeply um, in this session, but what I wanted to offer following Only the Brave is one idea, one core idea, of what I've found at the seat of elders as the most central kind of operating reality to mature, grow, cultivate that triangle of relationships, to grow in relational integrity. And I wanted to offer some thoughts for you today on that. Again, it's an idea for a decade, not for today, but while we're in this safe covering, I want to introduce... (coughs) Um, It's just way too much. It's content overload this weekend. I get it. But God trusts you to tuck it away, and the Spirit will tell you what's for now and what's for later. But I want to introduce a big idea. In Matthew 5, I love the uh, Peterson's translation of this. It says... um, Jesus saw huge crowds, right? Thirsty showed up. He climbed a hillside when the crowd showed up. And those that were apprenticed to him, committed to climbing with him, followed. So the few, the committed, the apprenticed, arrived at a quiet place above the crowds. And he sat down and taught his climbing companions. And the first thing he said, I love, he says, you're blessed. To be blessed, to, to bless is to will what is good for God, right? So you, the, the will of God that is good is upon you when you are at the end of your rope. When there's less of you, there's more of God in his rule. Isn't it amazing? The very first thing he says to his closest climbing companions, you're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. When there's less of you, there's more of God. Amen. Um, I'm going to pull out a couple different translations because it's a slow one. And so then he goes on, Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew 7, he says this. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye, in your friend's eye, in your wife's eye, and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your friend, let me take the speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? He says, hypocrite, first, take the plank out of your eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck in your brother's eye. Here in the message, don't pick on people, jump on their failures, criticize their faults, unless, of course, you want the same treatment. The critical spirit has a way of boomeranging. It's easy to see a smudge on your neighbor's face, on your wife's face, and be oblivious to the ugly sneer on your own? Do you have the nerve to say, let me wash your face for you when your own face is distorted with contempt? It's this whole traveling roadshow mentality all over again, playing holier than thou instead of just living your part. Wipe the sneer off your own face and then you'll be fit to offer a washcloth to your friend. It's fascinating, this invitation It comes in the context of being a son and being an apprentice. It's not harsh, it's strong. It's strong medicine, but it's for his climbing companions. He's not saying this to the crowds. He's saying this to the thirsty. He's saying this to those that know that they're loved and have encountered him in the shallow waters and now want to go to the deepest places. And I want to unpack this because this, this passage is so familiar and it just drips with religiosity, but in this place, I want to mine a treasure that I think that God might have something for us. It's fascinating in this first. Um, I want to point out four ideas as a framework for relational <clears throat> maturing in love. And the first is what jo- Jesus points out of what we are to be concerned with. Isn't it fascinating? He says, be concerned... With the plank in your eye and not the speck in your friend's eye. He doesn't say that they don't have something valid, but he says, be concerned first with your own. And then, secondly, it, there's just a real juxtaposition, a paradox of, of, of um, proportion. I mean, there's just this profound exaggeration from God Himself. He says, be concerned with your plank of wood. And not with their speck of sawdust. Just visualize that for a moment. God's saying, you have a plank of wood and they have a speck of sawdust. This is a carpenter that's communicating. He knows what it's like to carry lumber. And he knows what it's like to see a speck of sawdust which which covers everything he owns, right? Which is probably very little stuff. But he says, my plank, my, my plank and your speck. The third is he says something very important. He says, be concerned with your plank. And he says, take the plank out of your eye. Then you will see clearly to remove the speck in their eye. So he doesn't, he says, first, be concerned with your plank and participate with me for it to be removed so that you can see Clearly. Okay, there's something really huge in this. We have a bend towards self-deception. In our fallen nature, in our without God life, in our false self, we have a bend towards self-deception. It's a false comforter. But he says, as we remove that plank, we can see clearly. And then the fourth is to help our friend. To help our neighbor. The whole goal is to love. The whole goal is to see transformation in other people. He doesn't stop with, I just want to deal with your shit. Right? He says the goal is to love, the like-hearted, union with people, an honest soul to soul, the bond of love through Jesus Christ. What's so powerful (coughs) about the process of becoming the kind of person that's mostly concerned, about the plank in their eye that's participating with the love of God to remove it, to diminish it, to be healed and restored so that they can love others well, is it dismantles false comparison. It utterly dismantles it. Envy and jealousy is just such a wicked cancer in the body of believers. It's an absolute cancer. It's a destroyer. And as we become wholehearted and as we contend with those places in us, what we discover is the revelation, the very best life for us is ours. There's no better life. Literally, you could not have a better life than yours. Not mine. Mine's not better than yours. His isn't better than yours. It's the path to deep well-being and peace, to own your own life. It's your best possible life. Guys, it is so freeing. It is so freeing to encounter that. And and the second big piece is this boomerang nature, as John says. There's a way things work. And that's why he says, treat people as you want to be treated." treated. The fundamental idea of this whole kind of big idea, this session, is how do you want to be treated? It's so informative when you're engaging your wife, you're engaging your friend, you're engaging your boss. Ask your soul the question, how would you love to be treated? It's amazing when someone treats me with mercy. I'm a hard charger. And when someone's kind to me, it is a ball. It's very informative because it causes me to want to be fierce in fighting to be off kindness. It has a way of boomeranging. The kingdom works like that but resentment begets resentment. Cynicism begets cynicism. It has a way of boomerang. But the beauty is kindness begets kindness. Repentance, here's the key, begets repentance. Transformation begets transformation and love begets love. That is the path to the greatest possibility of restoration in your marriage, of wholehearted friendship, of heroic camaraderie and joy, laughter, being more than conquerors, feasting on the spoils of war. Love begets love. It's the greatest path to see them deal with their shit. It's beautiful. In God's paradox and his wildness, the only possible path is for me to contend, be concerned with my plan so that I can see clearly. And there is a, there's this cultivating as we mature to have a posture, not an agreement with a falsehood, but a posture of, I confess, I don't see clearly. There are places in me, in my life right now that I don't see clearly. And there, there is this humility that must be cultivated where we come to a situation not in self-doubt and not in making agreements, But a posture of curiosity, of there are places in this relationship where I am not seeing clearly. Holy Spirit, I need you to shine your light. I told the story of Abigail. So she's playing on his volleyball team. She's never done organized sports. And Joshua is a beast at lacrosse and football. And we, I'd never gone to watch her play something. They have like two practices at the Y and then they play this volleyball. It's a it's, it's mess. And uh, I never watched a game of hers and I never watched one with my son because I'm always watching him. And it's Friday night. And um, I'm trashed. We've, we've learned the hard way. We don't do anything on Friday. It's pizza night. We make pizza as a family, pizza and salad with whatever we find in the fridge. we have frozen doughs. We don't have to shop. And we chill because I'm not a good person to be with on a Friday night. Right? You guys know this. And I've learned like that's just a limitation. It's hard for me to be holy on a Friday when I'm trashed. And so here we are like at the Y at eight o'clock at night and bumping into people we know, it, it's a disaster. And so I'm just like pulling on reserves. And Joshua and I are trying to have fun and we're laughing and, and, and we're cheering her on and I'm engaged, like I, I'm doing what I actually think in my heart is good and loving and true. And they lose terribly and uh, they get in the car and Abigail's just puffing. And she's like, Dad, you were making fun of us and you don't even care about us at all. And I was first shocked, and then so pissed, because so I'm like, I was actually being a really good dad. That, that's what I'm feeling in my heart. That's, it's actually true. I was pulling in some heroism there, and I don't freaking know how to do this, and I'm like getting inflamed in me, and so then I go silent, and so I'm just like the big red thing you know, from the cartoons, and I go silent, and we pull in there. We just, and, the, and the kids know, the atmosphere is trashed in the minivan, right? It's all, I've lost it all. And I just go walking down my street, and, and then I just go to bed, because I know like, I, I, I can't untangle this inside of me. So then the next morning I wake up, and that's when I said, Abigail, can I speak with you? And, and I wanted to just apologize, because I just know and it doesn't really... What's not important is what... I thought I was doing a loving thing, but that wasn't my impact. And so I've learned to validate how she felt. And I have a lot to grow, and I've learned a lesson, or, or at least there's a lesson I need to learn. So when I sat down with her, and she said, Dad, you know, am I in trouble? That was a whole other piece. But the point was, I was coming to her to say, Abigail, I'm sorry, because I, know, I see now my impact on you, and I would like to know more. Help me understand. And she, it was beautiful. She looked at me, and she said, Dad, that wasn't mostly about you. She goes, I was mad we lost, and I really wanted to win. And what's interesting is Abigail's... I haven't experienced her as super competitive. Joshua is super competitive. And and Abigail's not. She just wants to be with me. Joshua wants to go do things and conquer things, and she just wants time. And I forget that every time we do stuff. (laughs) But right away, as soon as I said I'm sorry there was this atmosphere, I was disarmed, and she said, actually, that was mostly about me. And I said, help, you know, help me learn more, help me understand. She's like, I really don't wanna win. She's, and then I said, walk me through the night. And she said, well, I looked over at one point, and Joshua was like cheered, and I was excited. And then I looked over a couple other times, you guys were just like laughing and smiling, and I just thought you were making fun of me. And it really discouraged me, and sometimes I just feel pressure from you. And, was so beautiful as we got to come to the center of each other's experience and then after she felt validated i was able to say abigail like so you know my heart like i i was for you and i'm really new at this and so i just want you to know thank you and i need your coaching because i've never parented an 11 year old girl before This is new for me and new for you, so I need your help to know how to love you. And what we unpacked was the enemy, and she kind of saw it first, was spinning it. When Joshua and I were actually trying to celebrate, the enemy was spinning to her. We didn't care. But had it not started with, I'm sorry, I would have missed the opportunity. And some of the most powerful words in the masculine journey will become, I'm sorry. Help me to understand my impact on you. Help me to know you and come to the center of your experience so that I can understand what that's like. I'm sorry I was wrong. Will you forgive me? And just the atmosphere of love, begetting love, and forgiveness, begetting forgiveness. And she's just like going around the house telling Abigail, or Sherry and Joshua like dad's my bestie, dad's my bestie, he's not your bestie. <laughs> like in a moment, right? Um, so disarming and, and so I wanna get into this with this film because it's a brilliant modern day parable of what this looks like, what's at stake and what can be conquered in actually small amounts of time when it's a heart that's surrendered in, uh, to God. The film, Only the Brave, it's based on a true story you have this character, Brendan uh, Mc, uh, McDonough, and he's doing drugs and he's a mess and he's unfathered and uninitiated. He gets a girl pregnant and she's this, um, you know, comes from a successful family and the family looked at the father and basically said, he's out of the picture. He tried, but he, he couldn't do it. He's on drugs and so the, the the mom's dad kind of rescues mom and the baby and he's out of the picture. And so, He's strung up on drugs, but the baby is like smelling salts. And he finally has a motive to say, in not so many words, I want to be initiated. I want to be fathered. I want to get my heart back. So this is the young man that tries to join the hotshots, Grand Mountain Hotshots, and it's a true story. And now you have Eric Marsh. He's the father of these young hotshots. He's a really good man. And he's on his path to wholeness and restoration. But he, like us, is a work in process. And so I want to enter the story of Brendan, they call him Donut, and Eric Marsh, and the beginning of their um, meeting at the Granite Mountain Hotshots Shots uh, training facility. <laughs>
2: Was in my MT course. Serious burnout. What's he doing here? No, no. Let's find out, shall we?
1: <laughs>
2: Brian, right? Hi, it's Brendan. Right. You're in my MT class. What's up? You uh, you lost or?
5: No, I was just checking. I heard you guys had some slots available.
2: Slots are all filled, man. Sorry, dude. All right. Thanks, man. Yeah. Hey. We got one slot open. You want to interview for before?
5: Yeah. Right now?
2: Yeah. Right now. All right. I'm Eric Marsh, superintendent of Crew Seven. Brandon McDonough. When was the last time you used? Uh, Don't think, just answer the question. Three months ago. You ever use needles? No. Never. You have your qualifications?
5: Yeah. Uh, Wildland fire, fire science, and just completed my EMT. You know the difference between top two crew and top one IHC. Yes, sir. Hotshots are on the front line and they get to engage the fire directly.
2: Good. You got a record?
5: Yeah. Felony larceny.
2: would mm. do any time.
5: Three days. And I'm on probation right now
2: what are you doing here
5: I made a lot of mistakes in my life and I've done a lot of things that I'm ashamed of and now I'm embarrassed by honestly but I just had a daughter her name's Michaela and I just really want to give her what I never had If you give me a chance, I won't let you down.
2: Okay. All right, the crew's gonna go on a little hike. Got any running gear? Uh, no. What size shoe do you wear? Ten. Hand them over.
0: They're brand new, Sue. Yeah,
2: I don't give a shit. Hand them over. McDonough! Come on. Come on. They're, uh... They're limited editions. huh. Okay. There you go.
0: Thanks, man. What do you notice? What do you see? (coughs)
5: Just throw up, throw up, a hand. Oh, so yeah, Eric. Uh, the father giving someone a chance even when the other guys wouldn't.
0: Absolutely right, right. They're they're self-protective of their little you know sacred circle, blowing him off, being posers, right. But the father gives a chance. Yeah. Chuck. Sure. Oh, Micah. Sorry. I uh, say like the elder brother and the uh, proud little son. Say more. Doesn't want to come to the party. But the father's there. Interesting. Yep. It's brilliant. Oh, uh, the father just cut right through the bullshit and got the story. Yeah. Like that. Yeah. When's the last time you used? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right? Why are you here? The, only two questions need to be asked in that interview, right? And then the end of it's his choice. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, isn't that powerful? He sees something that um, the others don't. Eric Marsh does. Yeah, yeah. superintendent. Yeah. And it makes me wonder why. Why, right? I just watched that with this kind of pregnant curiosity of why does he see something the other not that's really important he wants to be a part of something bigger than himself brendan does yeah yep. and it's interesting because it took getting the girl pregnant now he has something that's that he lost right it's it's like i said thursday night right there's consequences my choices matter to other people and he lost something he loves and he has a chance to get it back right he may not even feel he's worth it, but this little baby's worth it, yeah? He's seen something of himself in the young like that. <clears throat> The superintendent did, Eric did. Yeah, he saw something of himself in this young man. It's beautiful. Let's just pause there for a moment. And so, yes, you have this first kind of scene, that, this introduction to these people. And Brendan starts a journey, and the, the, the beautiful kind of reality of this film, if you haven't seen it, is it's the story of Brendan's initiation. It's bumpy, but he engages. It's two steps forward, one step back. He starts dropping off groceries at the front door of this nice house where his baby and the wife, the, the mom of his baby is, is kind of seeking shelter in her parents' house, and he just Keeps doing it, and all of a sudden, over time, she cracks, right? The shell finally cracks, and she goes, I, I just can't get away from the fact that this guy is loving, he's dropping off diapers, he's loving this baby. And what happens over time is that he starts becoming a man. Brendan passes through an initiation, and he's becoming true he's becoming whole he's and he's he's starting to see clearly clear enough to know that he needs to make even more risk see the (coughs) fascinating thing about risk taking is it always feels huge the stakes always feel huge but they're small in comparison to what god is anticipating and entrusting to our care let me say that again they feel huge but they are always small in comparison to what God is anticipating to entrust in our care. It's the parable of the talents. And if we do not take him up on the small risks, we will be untrained and rendered incapable of taking greater risks. It doesn't ever feel safer. I remember a friend was describing like training on a bike where he said, The threshold always feels just as hard. But when you look at your times, you're improving. But the training always feels just as hard, right? It's the same with being generous. And so he has to take some risks. And Eric is a good man, and he's fathered Brendan. And so Brendan comes to him and he wants to express his gratitude and take the next risk into his initiation. And let's watch this interaction.
5: Hey, Sue. Hey, buddy. How's your leg feeling? It's good, yeah. I'll be fine. Good, good. Hey, Amanda. Hey, brother. I was wondering if I could talk to you outside for a sec. Right now? Yeah.
2: i about his anxious.
5: And got to shit a peach pit. <laughs> no, man. I just
4: wanted
5: to, you know, I wanted to talk to you for a sec. What? About what? Well, I wanted, to, I wanted to thank you for everything they you've done. I didn't do anything. I'm good. No, you took, you took a big chance on me. I know that.
2: Oh, the world's full of people taking chances, don't I? Jesus, why can't you just say your cuz. I know I'm, un- I'm uncomfortable with gratitude. I don't like it. All right, well, too bad. That's what this is, gratitude. <laughs> okay. All right. I can I can live with that, I guess. God. So are we good? There's
5: something else I'd, I do want to talk to you about. I've been doing a lot of thinking. And after this fire season's over, I, I want to move over to the structure side. And I was hoping maybe you could put in a good word with Chief Ellis for
2: me. OK. All right. All right, let me just see if I got this down. So, you you brought me out here to thank me for giving you a chance that nobody on the face of the fucking earth would give you. And your way of showing appreciation is to then say to me that what? You're going to quit on me and this crew? <laughs>
5: Soup. I'm having a hard time... It's tough. I'm, I'm having a hard time being a good dad and, and doing this
2: job. Okay, everybody's having a hard time, because most of the men on this crew have families, and I don't hear any of them bitching, do you? Yeah,
5: look, I can't speak to that, okay? I don't know. I... No, I, you can't. I didn't have a dad growing up. He wasn't around for me, so when I'm not gonna do that to my daughter, man. So, That's okay, it. so
2: what? So what? Donut, huh? I mean, do you think anyone's gonna hire a cheese dick like you on the structure side, an asshole with a record and a rep? That's just never gonna happen. And then what, huh? You're gonna be washing dishes, miserable? How long do you think you're gonna stay clean then? Now listen to me, listen. If you quit this crew, you're gonna either end up dead or behind bars.
0: What do you see? What do you see? No. see the accuser. The accuser, yeah. Yeah, yeah unfortunately, um, Eric's actually cursing him. Yeah. Right? He's speaking, right, curses over him, yeah. What else? Reaction. Reaction, interesting. Yeah, there's no pause. It just reacts like a, like a, like a fight, Yep. Yeah.
5: What else? He sees him as wasted effort.
0: Eric does. Yep, yep. right. That yeah, was like a waste the of my was time. To you yep. now
5: you're just going to leave me. Right, you're failing uh, me. It's, it's like the king um, wanting the, us to
0: promote his kingdom. Yep, yep, good. Trust and vulnerability on the part of Brendan. Yeah, it's really good. Brendan comes to. Eric with the benefit of the doubt, right? He's, he's kind of given him the seat of father and he expects him, to, you, you took a chance on me. You're for me. And now you'll take a chance on me but now he's defending a kingdom, right? And accusing him, right? What else? A man trying to figure out father without ever having ever been fathered. Brendan? Yeah, yeah I, oh, I totally appreciate that. Right, Bre- Brendan's at the edge of his, I mean, he's taking enormous risk, right? He's in uncharted territory. Territory it's so heroic. It's like, I don't know how to do this, and you're the closest thing I, I, I have, right? What else? No easy way. No easy way. Say more, Adrian. Um,
2: Brennan's looking for a simple solution, and Eric said, no, that's not how it works. Yep. All of us need to go through that.
0: Yep. So it's interesting because it, there's layers to it, right? He's saying, yep. There, there's part of it, because he's saying, hey, we all have a family, and part of that's very reactionary and accusatory, but at the same time, he's saying, hey, like, um, this is complex, right? There, in other words, there's, a, there's, there's pockets of truth, there's pieces of gold, it, it's enmeshed, it's not super clean. How old is Eric Marsh in this interaction, the superintendent? Thirteen. 12. Thirteen, twelve, right? It's really, I mean, he's a teenager, right? It's not Eric Marsh super that gave him a chance, right? Wear the running shoes. This is a different Eric Marsh. And what's so important to see is Eric's a good guy. He's a father, but he has a duplicity. There's duplicity in his heart. There's still places, obviously, that are being elicited. So I'm going to go to the next scene. And what's, what's really beautiful is these next two scenes happen all in less than 24 hours. So it's very quick. And one mentor, uh, you know, the question of how can, what are indicators of maturity? You know, Craig used to talk about the quality of our relating, which is just a huge indicator, the quality of our relationships. And another mentor, I really appreciate Reed, the way, you know, you've said it is, it's how quickly and to what degree we respond to the initiative of God in our life. And so, yeah, Eric blows it 100%. It's a swing and a miss. He deeply wounds, he curses, right? But that's not the end of the story. And so they go back to, into the bar, and let's watch what happens next. <laughs>
3: guys are always leaving crews because of family.
2: Uh-huh.
3: Right. So why are you so pissed at this kid?
2: As a year ago, he was a junkie. Tonight, he's a hero. Huh. I mean, come on. This job saved his life, and now he'll probably end up right back where he started.
3: Well, if you think that he might relapse, maybe you should take him to a meeting with you. Does he even know that you go to meetings?
2: It's nobody's business but my own. Hey,
3: right, so you're pissed because you think he owes the job something more than his own daughter. I
2: didn't say that. Oh,
3: maybe it's because he made the choice that you're avoiding
2: his thing has nothing to do with me okay I think it's got everything no 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 I don't I don't want to do this oh well,
3: you know what you've had one day off in the last month which you spent sleeping so when are we supposed to do it what what I'll tell you what you live your life in a glass box with a sign that says break in case of Fire. You are 90% hotshot, you are 10% mine, and that is not enough. What is that?
2: Is that an ultimatum? No, that I'm, what
3: the, I'm telling you how I feel, and that's different. I want a family with a man that I love.
2: You knew exactly what the deal was when we got into this, okay? I've been, yeah, I've no, been
3: straight I with you. I've been straight shit. with you from we the first were, day that we met. We went. were in the same place then. That was six years ago, and people are supposed to be changed by their relationships. That's what happened to me. I let you in. I've been changed by you, I'm a different person. I have moved on from my addiction and you are still fucking feeding yours with another kind of drug.
0: What do you see, what do you hear It's your observation?
2: Sometimes times getting to the truth is messy.
0: Say that again, Carl. Getting to the truth is messy. Getting to the truth is messy, <clears throat> yep, yep. Exposure. Exposure, say more. Thought he was. Thought he had this shield around him, and she just tied it right open. She pierced it, right? This has nothing to do with me. His stuff has nothing to do with me, right? Yep. Randy. Fierceness often required. Fierceness often required. Oh, in combining those two comments, this woman loves him. She's pissed. She's reacting, but she loves him. And what what were the words that really indicate true love that came out of her mouth and the heat of the messy mix? What does she say? I let you in and I was changed by you, right? I let you in. Perhaps it's just the crescendo or one of them of femininity for a woman to let you in, for her to risk vulnerability is the greatest risk of all, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, and to let you in and be hurt in that place, oh, it's devastating. So her to risk, to say, you're a glass box break in case of fire. Oh my goodness, is that pathetic? Yeah. I felt like that was a really good example of the plank. Same one. She earned the right to share that. By removing the plank, by changing first. interesting. and mm-hmm. earned the right to say now. Yes, you need to remove this. Yeah. Piece. And Jonathan. I, okay, I appreciate that because again, it's messy, it's layered. It's heat of the moment. The next day, she'll probably go, oh, I probably should have handled that some way." and different. And yet, she says in the heat, I was changed by you. People change. We were in our addiction together. That was six years ago, right? Like something has shifted. Yeah. There's vulnerability in it. You can't hide from your wife. You can't. Yes. <laughs> Damn it! I hate that. You said it first. What's that? You said it first. Oh, okay. Right. Okay. We can't. We can't. I tell my wife often, like. I, um, It's really hard for my wife to be around when I'm speaking because I choose to be vulnerable. And in that vulnerability, I feel most exposed with her because she sees the worst. And Eric Marsh, like he's hiding. These men love him. He's on a pedestal. He's fathering all these whippersnappers, right? And they don't know. You haven't told them about your meetings, have you? I bet you haven't because I know you. You're hiding, right? Oh, okay. There's a whole story. Why don't you take him to a meeting? Everything shifted. There's a whole world, right? There's a whole world that's not accessible until now. It's so good. Okay, so you have Eric Marsh, who's a really good man, a very healed man, being restored man. And in this moment, the boy, the 13 year old's exposed and he blew it. What's so beautiful about the gospel and about this story is we can get our integrity back. And it comes often, like the core of the expressions of the restoration, of the masculine heart will be in relationship. And so this next scene is just incredibly holy. Of this is the next day, the very next day. And let's watch the interaction of Brendan and Eric.
2: Operations is a Granite Mountain. We got clouds forming above People's Valley. They start to grow, the fire's gonna get a lot worse real quick. Our line's ready to burn right now. Copy, Granite Mountain. You got the green light to burn. Alright, copy that. Titans! Titan. 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 Alright, Jesse, flip the torches, get ready for a burn. Copy. Oh, right. go, All right. <coughs> All right, hey, Donut, come with me for a sec. Listen, uh, I'm sorry about last night. You know, I don't know how to explain, but sometimes we, we don't see things as they are. We only see them as we are. You understand that? Yeah. Okay, think so. What happened wasn't about you. It was about me. No, it was you. I will help you out in any way I can, so long as you walk the line. Do you hear me? Thanks, Sue.
0: Guys, the the sacredness of this. For Eric Marsh to say, I'm sorry, we don't see things as they are. We see things as we are. This is so central to the restoration of the integrity in our relationships, beginning with God, And all those entrusted to our care, we don't see things as they are; we see them as we are. Then Eric says, "That last night wasn't about you. That was about me." Guys, the courage, the vulnerability, (coughs) to circle back and own it, and then to say, "Help you." I will do anything you need so long as you show me with your actions that's what you want. I will honor your ask. And this is the living expression of Matthew 7. Eric chooses to be concerned with that which is in his eye that's inhibiting him from seeing clearly. He owns it as best he can at this stage and he chooses to live out of the truest place of what he's become by just naming it, I was you, I was you. And what he's communicated this substance is, I was you, and one day you will be like me. And even more, you will stand on my shoulders. And so my question is, where is this at play for you? Where, where is it where you feel deeply justified at the speck in their eye? Where your energy is bound up? Justifiably so. In their valid and honest issues. In their sin, in their misunderstanding, in their brokenness where you're stuck there. And the father's saying, son, I I know, but that won't help you towards healing. That won't help you towards restoration, towards wholeheartedness, and ultimately to the satisfaction of relational integrity. The father says, I want you to be well, and I want them to be well, and I want them to be healed and restored and set free for their benefit and yours. But I'll show you the way. I'll show you the way. So I want to pray into that just for a minute. Holy Spirit, you are the light. Psalm 27 says, God, you are light and you are the one who saves. And so in you, I will have no fear and you will be my refuge. Holy Spirit, I confess that I have suffered under much pain and affliction because of things in other people that are valid and true. And yet, you offer the path of life to me, Father. You offer me a way that feels like there is no way. But you give me the promise of hope that if I will... Risk. from the seed of sonship and the seed of being apprenticed to you, to being your climbing companion, that you will give me the grace I need to contend with that which is within me that is inhibiting my ability to see clearly and to love well. Holy Spirit, shine your light. What is it? What is it that's in the way? What is it that's kept me from them? What is it that you're wanting me to be honest with in me with you? God, I confess, this is beyond human resources. This is beyond ingenuity. This is in the realm of impossible made possible because of the work of Christ. And so I'm asking for your life. I'm asking to be knit into your life, grafted into the vine, this branch being grafted into the vine, that you would give me the grace and courage to own where I have sinned, owned where I've hurt or harmed, owned where my stuff has caused me to misread and to miss the hearts of those that you've entrusted to my care. I ask for your grace. I ask for your kindness and compassion in this place. I ask for you to be Tender and strong on my behalf. I ask for your forgiveness. And I ask that you would make a way to reconciliation. First within me. And then through me. Would you give me the grace and the courage. By day and over a decade. To come toward those closest with an honest ear to hear and a heart to understand, to own my impact and know that I am safe and I'm loved. The scripture says, even if I lack faith, you will always be faithful because you will not compromise who you are. And so I rest in the strength of your faithfulness and fidelity. You are my safe and secure place. I can release outcome, and I can take great risk. You have me, and I choose to be confident in that. Come, Spirit of God, establish this way even deeper in my relationships, and let love beget love. Let healing beget healing. Let repentance beget repentance, and leading to (coughs) wholeheartedness and maturation begetting wholeheartedness and maturation that I would experience your joy particularly in the seed of relationships in my life, in Jesus' name. Amen. As always, we are going to conclude this Become Good Soil podcast episode with 60 seconds of pause. I want to invite you to recover your breath, to take several steady inhales and exhales. Take the time to linger for 60 seconds. As you breathe, Father, Jesus, Holy Spirit, What are you bringing to my attention? What are your questions? What are your words? What is your counsel? Speak, Lord, for we are your friends, and we are choosing to listen to your heart in this moment.